So first of all, just some other abstract questions. The relationship between manas and chitta, these two words for mind, or translated as mind, in uh, many of the English translations. Sometimes chitta is translated as heart, sometimes as awareness. Manas can also be translated as intellect or the conceiver. So uh, manas is about um, abstractions. So it's, it tells you about things and it scans the other senses and it says, oh, that there is a, that there is a pot, that there is a tree. And so perception strikes the eye, manas puts a label on it. Now that label, tree, pot, you can't sit under a label, it's a label, right? So it translates direct experience into conceptual experience. And then it um, feeds chitta, heart, which um, doesn't, chitta doesn't access the external senses, it it operates through the manas, so rather we don't receive things with the chitta, we experience what manas tells it. Yeah. So manas says tree, and oh, tree, and then you, know, you give these experiences are learnt perceptions. Oh, so the chitta gets a feeling. Oh, whatever feeling is. You know, if you're a if you're a forester, that might be oh, good timber. If you're a naturalist, it might be oh, you know, a place where birds live. If you're a walker, it might be, oh, a nice place where I can sit down in the shade, take some shelter. So the perception in with tree, same word, lands in the chitta. Chitta gets coded how it how it how it um, what these things mean. Right? Tree, for example. House, different. If you're a burglar, you notice the locks. If you're an architect, you notice the design. If you're a, if you're a, 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 a realtor, a real estate agent, you notice, you get an idea of the land and how much it would cost. If you're looking for a home, you look at, oh, it's nice, you know, no street nearby, it's a beautiful place. So the same word touches different meanings. And these meanings are in the chitta, and so manas drops something in this kind of, oh, in this felt experience comes up that gets us interested or moved. And these, what I've mentioned now, are of course pretty neutral examples, but uh, there's also, you know, very troubling perceptions, you know, to do with threat, fear. There's, there's you know, a person that reminds me, and you get a feeling of fear, you know, because you had a bad experience with a person who looked like that. So you get fear experience, or fear of groups. I feel overwhelmed in groups, so I make them feel nervous. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just people, but the meaning is in the chitta. So that's manas and chitta. Now, you can cultivate manas so that, saying, because chitta can learn. So you see this little figurine up there, piece of wood. Uh, you look at one of these and you get the nuances of you know upright, calm, balanced, 
seems approximates to a human body, uh, dignity, soft radiance, and there's the nuances of feeling or perception that come up with that. And of course, as you cultivate your relationship to a Buddha image, you get a sense of when this arises in my mind, oh yeah, this is time to, you know, show up. Let's be awake, let's be awake. It's great to have a Buddha Rupa image in your room. And it's sort of, oh, let's, let's use it properly. So you don't just use them as ornaments, you use them as something as a, a mind marker. You know, so this is the place where you stop, be awake. So you have that. And you can do pujas and chanting to it. So you create a whole kind of atmosphere through skillful use of manas and chitta. Um, and chitta is both affected, you know, resonant, but it's also, or at the same time as it's knowing or noetic, it, it is aware like a, like a lake, you know, surface of a lake is both reflective but also shimmers. If you drop a leaf on it, it shimmers. Jitters like a lake with no fixed boundaries or the boundaries imposed by karma. So it's both, you know, it shivers but it also reflects. So it can be, and as the, as the resident, as the shivering calms down, it gets more and more clear. The, the reflective capacity gets clearer. So if you're constantly throwing rocks in it, you don't get much clear reflection. Yeah, so the idea is you calm, calm, steady, stabilize, and you get a clear reflection. And you reflect, it, it reflects upon what happens to it, what lands on it. Um, perceptions, um, roughly, well, these are categorized as sense bases, all the five aggregates. Perception lands on it, feeling lands on it. Uh, triggering activations, they run across it, they're the ripples that, sh- ripple that run across it that you can witness. Um, consciousness keeps dumping things into it, <laughs> sight, sound, and bringing things into it and so that you can, oh, this is seeing. Seeing creates this. I feel bounded by visual objects now. Mm. Nothing's touching me. But, uh, you know, I feel bounded in a particular space because of what visual consciousness does. Right? So consciousness definitely lands and it places a, a kind of reality. Now, if I push the wall down, I haven't moved anywhere. What happened to the, what happened to the, you know, where did the room go? Uh, you know, uh, nothing's changing yet. Suddenly I feel unbounded. Actually, I'm exactly the same place as I was before. But, you know, then you're bounded by what's outside the room. If it's the street or the house next door or trees or the mountains, you know, so your consciousness has a, creates surfaces that wrap around the chitta. And the most obvious one is visual surfaces, um, auditory surfaces, you know, and they, they kind of locate you. And uh, if those quieten down, as they can do in meditation with restraint then that sense of location in a place sort of begins to dissolve you know you're here but there's no location in the sense realm see what I mean 
Of course, the most difficult one to um, relax is the manas. Manas, sense door of the thinking mind, which is always dropping uh, ideas, or even just kind of restraining a vestigial sense, you know, so it doesn't actually chattering away, but it gives you the sense, oh, here's my body, it's whatever, how tall it is, it's a man, it's shoulders and face and head, and it sits in the background as a, as a place marker. But when you directly experience it, I don't experience that. I experience heat, pressure, flows, elements, energies, changing, shifting. I don't experience that particular form that my mind tells me I have because of looking at picture. What happened to that? Form is another illusion. Doesn't mean there isn't any, but it changes. It's not a fixed thing. So chitta, if you really directly you know, relate to it and take that as the, the reality that you want to develop, then it's got tremendous potentials. Because it also has its own vitalities, such as love, compassion, clarity, strength, integrity, honesty. Those are all chitta qualities. Mm. Of course, there's irritation, anger and craving, but... Yeah, you know, but there's also the faculties and the virtues all arise in the chitta. And the chitta is that which can be liberated. Manas is never liberated, it's just quietened. So, once again, as a practice, just using your manas, controls manasikara attention. So you can pick what you want to focus on. That lands on your chitta. Focus on... Stress, it lands on your chitta. Focus on things that give rise to passion, that lands on your chitta. Focus on things that give rise to inspiration, that lands on your chitta. And your chitta has to tell manas what to do. Don't let it just run around. You know, don't let it run around. It's to say, make a decision. Okay, just leave that alone. No, no, leave, stop, stop. No, here. <laughs> Relax that, will you? Later, go back here. So that's the way you practice. No, stop it. Go back here. Okay. What's what's so? What's the big deal about that thing then? Mm, that, but that's ah. Oh, I can feel it stirring me. Oh, it's stirring. Let me just. I want that. Relax. You're not going to relax the object. You relax how it's affecting you, and the object loses its grip. So that's practice. Somebody's asking about excessive sexual images in meditation, excessive sexual images. I wonder what excess, how, how many <laughs> amount is in excess? <laughs> One, twenty-five, hundred. <laughs> uh, well, you know, they can get stuck. <laughs> when you get these obsessive things, they get stuck. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it's like the mind just goes back again because it's, it's become a default mechanism. So you've got to, got to watch out for that. Uh, 
Um, so, um, you know, so this, this, this attached fixation, obsession, mm. and you know, obviously sexual images, easy, easy passion. You know, don't take any effort. Floods, floods the system with vibrant energy. Uh, so there's a certain addiction to it, like hitting a drug. Mm. You get, get a rush, but um, you just focus on what's happening to your to your chitta. You know, you're sending this kind of cocaine through through your heart time and time again. It's leaving a bit of a mess, isn't it? Mm. And like any other drug, it gets addictive. So when you're trying to wean yourself of it. You have to use some discipline, and it, you do have to be, feel a bit, you know, uh, just once and stop, and begin to reflect upon both the uncomfortable experience of sexual um, energy, heats, it causes tension, so it's for gratification, but it never really, you know, achieves it, because you've got to have some more like any other drug. For that, then you might also reflect upon the unattractive aspects of um, the body. Yeah. And even also, that's so you're looking at the objects of, of sexual fascination, then you're looking at the internal experience of it, how it agitates, stirs, arouses to no useful end. Yeah. And you can also just work on drawing your energy up your spine. So, you, so you, sometimes people use sexuality as a way of just releasing tension or boredom. It means your energy is not balanced. So if you draw your energy up your spine and through your body, then it feels nice and comfortable and steady. You don't really want to get it all stirred up. Mm. I know this is, you know, advice, but uh, of course you have to look into that yourself. I'm not, not blaming or judging. It's just a, it's a bit of a waste of time, really, a waste of good energy. So I wouldn't, wouldn't bother. And uh, the more that you uh, can focus on qualities such as loving kindness and uh, breathing and beautiful energy, the energy is softer, more refined. You don't get the burnout, and it leaves you steady and it and gives you some dignity. You know. Okay, so we're dealing with energies. Because doing body work like qigong and things like that is good for purifying and steadying your energy. So, a couple of questions. What is the subtle body? How can I tell it apart from bodily sensations, heartfelt emotions, various versions of awareness? Mm. Mm. Well, there's a word in Pali Kaya Sankara, which means it's translated as bodily formation, um, and that's to do with uh, bodily formation. And what's that? And it's this, it's this sort of an energy system that 
governs the breathing and general, not just the breathing, but also um, reflex energies. Mm. So the Buddha primarily is talked about as Kaya Sankara is breathing in and out. It's that which gets the breathing doing this, you know, gets it moving. Mm. It's, what is it that triggers the muscles to do the breathing? What is it that when the breath happens, you get energy flowing through the system? That whole process of energy moderation is called Kaya Sankara. And now it also can be described as unskillful Kaya Sankara, which means it's when you get a, say, a violent impulse, you get this rush of bodily energy into a tight, violent form, and people fire up, you know, and become extremely powerful when it's unskillful Kaya Sankara energy form fires up and they, they, they become extremely heated sometimes people change they get red or their eyes start popping out <laughs> you know some of the energy shifted and in meditation you're learning to stabilize and steady that so instead of it you know unskillful it's always through narrow channels you know so, so but with um Skillfully begin to soften and spread the energy. Now, if we look in the Anapanasati Sutta, it says thoroughly experiencing um, the entire body, Sabakaya, thoroughly sensitive to the entire body, breathing in, breathing out, and then soothing, steadying, calming the Kaya Sankara. So, as you come into your whole entire body, the body's entirety. Now I can feel the sensations in my fingers. I can feel the sensations where the pressure of sitting the seat on the on the on the chair. But if I say what's the whole thing as one thing, I could say it's a big pulsing pool of energy, of warmth and vibrancy. It's the whole thing, isn't it? That's the body. That tells me it's here. Whether anything's touching it or not, so parts of my body, like my elbows, are not touching the anything. My arms aren't touching anything. Yeah, I can feel them because they've got this vibrant warmth inside in them. Now that's 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 the body energy, and uh, for many people, it's all broken up. You know, bits of them have gone numb. Some place of extremely agitated you know stirred some places are contracted the you know, the left side feels bigger than the right side you know when they sit and meditate or they start twitching or something like that because the energy is all discoordinated as you cultivate meditation the energies those tangled up energies of the kaya sankara can unfold and be soothed and massaged you get something that's really spread and the weave of the, of the body energies are spread soften you get feeling like a entire body you know um, unified and this is the experience of samadhi when the chitta and the body get into this unified state where they're no longer bits and pieces running off in di- different direction the experience is one of whole complete grounded embodied light radiant 
felt. It's not just the mental experience. There's, any, there's a somatic experience. That's the subtle body. And the Buddha said of this subtle body, of all the bodies you can experience, right? there's nothing more refined than this one. You can experience a visual body. You look at the thing, you see this visual body. You, know, you can look at it like that. So that's a different experience than visual body is this experience. You know. uh, when I think about my body, that's that experience. You know. But when I feel the body in the body, it's like this. Mm. So yesterday you spoke of the breath as prana and the breath of life. Can you speak to what supports this perception? I typically experience the breath more mechanistically. Um, yeah, I can imagine that would be normal because uh, we are come from a mechanistic culture where the emphasis is on objective uh, science. You know, so we look at things and we can know them from outside them, you know. You can look at a body, you know it from the outside. There's the flesh, there's the knee, there's the teeth, there's the sinews and so forth. So it's objective and materiality is definitely a fixed thing. It's material. And that's different from the immaterial, which is mind, you know. And emotions are sort of immaterial too. And there's a body which is, you know, basically a material thing, which has got some sort of process happening to it. And, you know, so if you go to school, they say the breath is, you know, comes into the nose, down into the lungs, and there it is, and it feeds the brachioles, and it feeds the so forth. But you don't experience that. You don't directly experience your lungs, you experience pressure, you experience tightness. You know, you don't experience lungs, you don't experience brachioles, you don't experience... <laughs> You can you tell yourself that's what you're experiencing. What you're experiencing is something like some, you know, movement, shifting, direct experience. Now, in the time of the Buddha, they were much more into direct experience. Certainly, they were able to be objective. They say this is a corpse, you know, dead body, flesh, bones. But nobody saw a breath. I don't see any breath. Has anybody ever seen a breath? No. So breath is this experience we have of energy rushing through, moving in and out. And they call it the air element, breath of life. And it's called prana. If you're familiar with the yoga schools, you'll understand there's a system called pranayama, which is about using, first of all, using breathing techniques but that's the beginning of it, and the idea is you use these breathing techniques, you can stimulate energy, open up energy channels. So the prana that is led by the breathing process moderates energy through your body, right? So they see prana as, you know, uh, certainly it's got a material aspect, if you like, it's about air. But it's, fundamentally, it's the energy that, that is drawn through the body as you breathe in and out. Now, when we look in the Pali Suttas, you come across this phrase, anapana sati. So, pana 
is the Pali correlative for prana. So it's the same thing when we talk about uh, panatipata, refraining from killing pana beings, um, refraining from killing panatipata, those which have the life force mm, mm, through breathing. So it's that's so that's how I see it. And uh, she practice. It's just a, that's just a verbal thing, understanding the language. And you directly experience the breath. You don't see a breath. Uh, you experience something rather different, and um, the sensations of the breath striking the nose or something. They are that's a good marker, but breath doesn't stay at your nose. It, the energy of it flows through the entire form. When we come to an expression like thoroughly experiencing the entire body, which the Buddha lays down, well, that's not your nose, is it? There is a Pali word for nose. It's not, it's not an esoteric concept, but he, the Buddha didn't use it. So if he didn't use the word nose, we can assume he didn't mean the nose. It's not that difficult to say what you mean if you're a Buddha. If he said the entire body, he meant the entire body. So how do you breathe in out and experience the entire body? You're experiencing not respiration, as a air going down your lungs, you're experiencing this energetic effect of breathing in and out. And that's helpful because then it very much changes your mode of how you attend. If you're attending to, a, to the nostrils or the belly, you've got to do, attention's got to do this scrutinize. If you attend to the entire body, tension does that. And that's quite a quite a big change. And uh, you know, in some ways it's less effort because you're not uh, but your receptivity is attuned to energies. Uh, you're not sensations are not that significant really. Energies are very significant because this is the energy that gets stirred up with passion. This is the energy that gets stirred up with violence. This is the energy that settles with calm. This is the energy that is aroused with faith. This is the energy that warms up with with good with benevolence. You can feel it in your body. You see your friend come through the door in your heart, you lift. You know? That's so it's a very significant feature of our experience. Because that energy is where your emotions come from, or it's very much associated with your emotions. So in, in working with that, you're also working very much at the basis of what moves your mind and heart. Hmm? Right? So it's it's a it's an important I think it's an important thing to that's my take on it. I don't see anything that contradicts that in the suttas. Is it heart qualities that shift the perception towards more vitality and pleasure? I don't really understand the question. Inclination is a heart quality or a heart factor. We incline you know, towards uh, where we will feel most comfortable. And once you begin to 
uh, unravel and soothe your energies in your body, your inclination will be attracted to it. This is why it's, it's very good for samadhi, because rather than to force your mind to calm down, you give it something pleasant and attractive to sit in, it goes there much more easily. You know, this is so this sort of strategy the Buddha you know, if you get something pleasant and comfortable, the mind will go there. So if you make breathing pleasant and comfortable and enjoyable, your mind will go there. You have to force it there. And it also encourages one to approach uh, practice from the heart rather than the willpower. Rather than got to do this, make it happen, keep focusing, be mindful. Yeah. Uh, really where what feels really where where I, best place to be you know, really think can consider deeply that's fun but this is this is better and so that shift towards um, uh, the heart the vitality and then realize when the heart is rich with vitality, it naturally begins to express qualities of joy, uh, happiness, warm-heartedness, loving-kindness, um, peace, contentment. This is this is the gold. This is the gold, a golden heart. Mm. So, what else do we have? Can I talk about what opening energy centers? How many are there? Well, I, I don't know, actually. Uh, I guess anywhere. Mm. Yeah. Uh, mm. But um, uh, I think it's just to be open to where you feel energy uh, and notice the effects. Mm where energy naturally gathers and you see well, this is this isn't very this is tension this is causing balance mm. uh, so really we're just using energy I'm not a energy specialist by any means or a acupuncturist or anything like that I'm a meditator so yes. Just knowing when the energy feels jittery, when it's too much up in my head, you know, when it's imbalanced, when places are going cold or numb, and then you begin to, wait a minute, just draw some more attention here. I would say you use the spine a lot, the spinal channel, I mean, which is approximates to the line from the crown, behind the throat, behind the breastbone, behind the heart behind the navel, down into the tail, and down into the feet. So you get that sense of that's, that's your balance line. And there's a, in the Chinese system, you have a governor channel runs down there, which is pretty important, fundamental axis. Mm. And then you can work out the rest as you practice. But energy is, is I talk about it because it's often missing in the teachings. Um, I don't want to make that the main thing. It's a conducive experience, 
But this also can get very fascinating. You can start to get too involved with subtle forms. Just use your energy so your energy is calmed, steadied, grounded, and used to release congestion, stagnation, imbalances. Mm. Last one on that topic. If you're doing standing meditation, when the body is standing and not moving, is it discharge energy? Um, it depends. But uh, there's another something other than discharge, which is sort of um, open energy, which is neither neither moving in nor moving out. It's just open energy, and you experience that most readily in the pause between the out breath and the in breath, and in breath and out breath. It's sort of just open, and that's well, I would say the best. But that's something to get interested in. Because this is where things can get very still and steady. And as the fluctuation of the breathing softens, so you're not breathing in and out a lot, just a little. And, you know, the discharge has been affected, so you're in a nice balanced state. The open energy or the pause energy, that becomes longer and steadier. And you just get a little bit of movement and that. And this is where your mind gets really quite still and peaceful. And you tend to that. Let's move on. So we have commonly, as is understandable, a lot of stuff on psychological, emotional pain, emotional conflicts um, of various kinds. Um, fill in the fill in the dots. Fill in the gaps. Uh, obsessive, reactive, powerful instincts, uh, pain, abuse, memories of abuse. Yeah. Well, you know, the Dhamma practice is not just meditation. Meditation, you know, sitting quietly and still is is um, helpful and portable, but uh, also one, so, you know, it's good to have friends. Energy that moves between a listener, listening, friend, listening, not commenting, not judging, just listening does help to uh, relieve, release, because we are very powerful phenomena. Nothing affects us so much as another human being. Other human beings hurt us, but other human beings also cherish, heal and listen to us. And that can be very therapeutic in itself. Now when you find a mind kind of getting run over by these uh, painful memories well the strategies are first of all you see if you can find a place in your body where you're not so you shift your attention Uh, don't get mesmerized try to shift your attention keep your eyes open for example use a mantra if necessary Um, so you, you actually 
don't go don't go into it again because it doesn't doesn't fix it you know, fix it by standing outside it and relating to it but until you can stand outside it you can't relate to it you just are it and you're thrashing around not wanting it which is obvious and then going through whatever scenarios and memories it brings up so we need to stand outside this and so that you stand outside it means you're standing somewhere in your body in your breathing or in the space the listening space and you need to really uh, those may sound difficult now right now it's not a person right now nobody's bothering you right now it's a it's a memory in the heart it's not a person right now yeah so let's take the person out of it since it isn't there right now let's just feel wound pain discomfort and uh, what happens there is it possible to open a compassionate listening around that compassionate listening that's not aiming to stop it compassion doesn't try to stop it says please tell me more I don't need the stories but I'm really interested in allowing the feeling to be felt and if you can if you're ready prepared then you, you know you can use the body to discharge standing walking just that having a body like a friend walking beside you as you let these things unfold but essentially to take the person out of it take the scenario out of it and go directly to the felt experience when you have the resources to do so and you may not yet have the resources to do so in which case a sympathetic other can help to be that resource in this psychological pain a person is born you feel you are somebody uh, whatever you feel yourself as being the, the one who is rejected or not listened to or made a mistake that's the one you have to embrace with compassion and embrace it in your embodiment Someone's asking about a couple more. When I'm offering this, this chance to practice at home, I notice a lot of old resentments and anger coming up. If I'm in a secluded retreat centre, it doesn't really matter. But when I'm at home, I'm still with my teenagers, in this case the kids, and cooking and cleaning. And I'm worried that this stuff might just start spilling out. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's why we have... That's why we go on retreat. Uh, you know, that's why we go places to places you can go crazy in peace without bothering anybody. Um, yeah, I, I, these open these online retreats, I, I really like the sense of it could be open. But if you if you're still 
you know, doing your, your daily stuff, and I appreciate this, may, you may not have a choice, then you, you can't really um, go that deep. You know, because you get so sensitive, and you need the container um, to handle that. And if you know kids are running around doing stuff, you can easily get triggered. So I do recommend um, creating some boundaries. Um, and if that's not possible, um, then yeah, try to make what you're doing your practice serving, helping out while you cook, while you clean, while you take teenagers to school sense of make it an act of love and kindness make that a pra dharma practice mm. rather than something that's outside of practice make that the main practice then when it's gone quiet you sit down and experience the happiness of of what you've been doing from the right place Last question for this evening uh, about time. Uh, I spent decades trying to get as much work as done as possible in a limited amount of time. I'm now trying to unlearn this addiction to the clock. Made some progress and strong urge to constantly check the time is lessening. But could you please open up the concept of time some more? I'm fascinated by the apparent contradiction of, of the world's impermanence and the emptiness of time. Well, if we directly experience, we'll notice things definitely do seem to change, uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. And so the, the time rate is very fluctuating. It's not mechanical. Mechanical time is an imposition um, created to get people to work. <laughs> so, like many, like many of our social structures, they're really based upon getting people to work <laughs> harder, get things done on time. <laughs> yeah, so, so that you, one believes in it. Because your old system gets programmed to, you know, run according to the clock. <laughs> and so we assume that the clock is telling us the truth. It's now five to eight. You're supposed to be at work in five minutes' time. <laughs> There's not enough time to get things done because it's five o'clock and you've got an hour and you haven't got enough time to do it. And so, you know... Mm -hmm. So what the experience is one of certain pressures applied. You look at the phrases associated with time, not enough time. Uh, too much time, time on my hands. You know, there's not, not enough going on. Got to be on time. Mm. Haven't got time right now. What are you talking about? I'm talking about um, nervous energy, aren't we? Mm hanging around wasting time, wasting time, what does that mean? It means nothing connected, energies flopping around, perhaps we feel absence of stimulation, absence of purpose, 
wasting time, you know, I want purpose. Not enough time means getting overwhelmed. Got to get things done on time. Pressure, you know, late, I'm late. That's another one. What are we talking about? You're talking about um, how what's happening in your nervous system as you try to squeeze an organic experience into an abstract mechanical box. And what happens is, you know, generally, after a while, you become the box. <laughs> you've been squeezed into your system becomes boxed you know those things an hour five minutes become realities the system has grown like it it's like you know if you bind your feet they used to do this to Chinese women bind their feet so they end up little tiny crushed feet but they can't walk properly well we bind ourselves with concepts like that it is it's 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 on a subtle subtle material level so it's compression of energy and a distortion of energy it's possible to grow out of it um just um, come into body time body time is moderated by the breathing so sometimes it's quite slow but it's smooth sometimes it livens up they let time change the rate of change fluctuate so it's not a fixed thing at all when there's a lot going on it seems time flashes by or it seems very very busy very dense you know how long has the year been depends how much was happening in it how much struck you if you didn't really notice very much it was like a very quick year uh, a day in the life of a child is probably 10 times longer than the day in the life of an adult because they notice all these amazing things the adult just glosses over so the more more granular more stuff that happens more stuff that works your chitta you know that that increases time now, when the chitta gets very peaceful and calm, time more or less, you know, floats away. And if the chitta stops, time stops. Mm. But then look at those messages of panic, hurry, got to get there on time, keep people waiting, all this kind of stuff. Look at those, not externally, but internally. This is agitation, this is compulsion. This is fear, this is obligation, you know. Deal with those emotions and grow more fluid because that's the reality of change. And it fits perfectly. So let's take a, a break now from the questioning